All right, turn your Bibles to Colossians chapter 1. We're continuing this series. If you are new with us, let me just share with you where we are as a church. We've been walking through the book of Colossians verse by verse. We are in our third week of this series that we've entitled Satisfied, Living in the Fullness of Jesus Christ. Really what we're talking about is, is really what does it look like for us to experience satisfaction that is found and promised in Jesus Christ? What does that actually look like? Because all of us would say, I think if we're a follower of Jesus Christ, that we want, we want to find satisfaction in Jesus. We want to experience the fullness that's found in him that nothing else can provide. But, but we often struggle with how does that play out in our life? What does that look like? And so we're walking verse by verse through this letter that Paul wrote. Paul is the author of this book under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit. Holy Spirit giving Paul words, these words to write to a specific church that existed some 2,000 years ago in Colossae. And so we've been walking through this book so far, just in the beginning of it. But we're coming to a passage of Scripture today, just to let you know. We're coming to a passage of Scripture today in verses 15 through 20, that of all the passages in the entire Bible, so all 66 books... In the Bible, there is not a more descriptive passage of Scripture on who Jesus is and his supremacy and his sufficiency than what we are going to read this morning. There's not a greater passage of Scripture. That's a, that's a big statement. And so, so I wouldn't say a statement like that if it was not true. And so this passage of Scripture is going to be so significant, so foundational as we move forward in this series, if we truly believe that Jesus is how we can experience a satisfied life, how we can say that, yes, I'm walking in the fullness of Jesus, who Jesus Christ is. And so what I want you to do, and we're about to read this passage of scripture here in a few minutes, I want you to take whatever you are looking for, sat for satisfaction in, so, so you don't need to share that with anybody. I want you to think about it right now. And so you can be transparent because it's you. Okay, you're not telling me. You're not telling the person beside you. You're not telling your spouse, your boyfriend, girlfriend. Not telling your friend. I want you to think you inside of your mind. What are you looking for, looking for satisfaction in your life right now? Could be someone. Could be something. One of those two. But what I want you to do is I want you to take that someone or something and I want you to use the passage of scripture that we're looking at today to hold as a measurement to whatever you're looking for satisfaction in today and saying, does this someone or something deliver on what Jesus is described to be in these verses? Because here's the title of the message this morning, and, and I said this in the first service, I'll say it here. If you haven't ever taken notes in your life, today's the day to start. Because here's what I want you to write at the top of, if you have one of those connect cards or whatever it is, you bring something else to take notes or pull out your phone, whatever it is. Here's the title of the message this morning. Jesus is better. Jesus is better. 
That my goal, and more importantly, what I believe God desires you and me to walk out of these doors realizing for the first time or remembering again what we have forgotten is that we would walk out of these doors today at the end of our time in closing the word of God, that we would walk out of these doors celebrating that Jesus is better. Jesus is better than any relationship that you're looking to for satisfaction today. Whether that be a fiance, whether that be a boyfriend or girlfriend, whether that be your spouse, Jesus is better. Jesus is better than any expectations you may be placing on someone to be that thing for you, to satisfy you. Jesus is better. Jesus is better than a scholarship that you hope to gain, that you're like, man, hopefully I can get this on my SAT. Hopefully I can perform in this way so that I can receive a scholarship so that, so that I can go to school. Listen to me, Jesus is better better than that. Jesus is better than the job that you hope to acquire. Some of you may have a job interview this week and it's stressing you out and you're thinking, man, if I can just get this job, then I will have what I've finally been wanting. Jesus is better. Jesus is better than that promotion or raise that you're hoping. You're thinking, man, I've been working so hard. I've been, I've been, I've been de dedicated in my time and, and, and done the things that have been expected of me on my performance profile. And, and man, I, I'm hoping that I can get that raise. I'm hoping that this opportunity will come, this promotion will come. I want you to understand today, as awesome as that may be, Jesus is better. He's better. Jesus is better than that home that maybe you are hoping to qualify for right now and you're in that process and you're filling all that paperwork and you're like, man, if we could just have this home and have the opportunity to expand our family and have a little more room or maybe for the first time ever we can have a home and, and you're thinking about that and you're, and you're obsessed with it as we know oftentimes that process is. Well, we need to remind ourselves this morning, if, you're, if that's you this morning, you're like, man, honestly, that's maybe where I'm looking for my satisfaction. Jesus is better. Jesus is better than that child that you hope to have one day, that you've been trying to have and nothing you're saying in your, in your soul would bring you more satisfaction than having a child and what amazing desire that is. But what I want you to understand today is Jesus is better. Listen, I don't have the time up to stand up here this morning and provide every scenario that may hit every person in here, but what I want us to understand as we look at this passage of scripture is that Jesus is better than whatever you are looking to for satisfaction other than him. He's better. And so if that's the reality, then here's the idea that I want us to look at as we look at this passage of Scripture, and it'll be glaringly obvious, the statement that I want to give you that really sums up Colossians 1, verses 15 through 20, it's this, Jesus is your source of satisfaction. He's the source. Can you just say that sentence with me? Jesus is the source of your satisfaction. Let's make it personal. Jesus is the source of my satisfaction. That's so what we're going to see in this passage of Scripture. Just some context. If you weren't here last week, I encourage you to go on our website. You can watch or you can listen to the messages leading up to this where we're given context and you can get caught up to where we're at. But in Colossians 1, verses 9 through 14, at the end of verses 12 through 14, Paul encourages the church that he's praying that they would live a life of thanksgiving. Remember when he says, giving thanks, and he mentions our identity and what Jesus Christ has accomplished for us as what our thankfulness is rooted in, not in our circumstances. So verses 15 through 20 are a continuation of why we should give thanks. 
of why we should praise, of why we should worship because of who Jesus Christ is, which made me be reminded of, of this statement. If Jesus is the source of my satisfaction, then I also need to understand that whatever I'm looking to for satisfaction is what I am worshiping. So that question that I just posed to you a few minutes ago, if it was something other than Jesus that you were looking to for satisfaction this morning, I promise you that's what you've been worshiping. So if, if I throw out a statement like that, then I think it's probably pretty important that I define what we mean by worship. Now listen, there's a lot of great definitions out there about what worship is. We could give a definition of, of what, is it, what is the definition of worshiping God, but I'm just talking about worship, whether it's someone, something, or Jesus. So, so I thought to myself, well, let me just come up with a definition. So I'm, I'm sure there's better ones than what I came up with, but I'm standing up here, so you're gonna get mine. So here's the definition of worship. Whoever or whatever has first place of my head, my heart, and my hands. That's worship. That's what I'm worshiping. Let me read that again because it's not on the screen. Whoever or whatever has first place of my head, my thoughts, what I'm consumed with thinking about, my head, my heart, what my emotions are, what, what is driving my emotions, my hands, what I do. Whatever is driving those things is what I'm worshiping. Because if I'm consumed in my mind and I'm thinking about this thing or this someone and, and, and the expectations of what that's going to provide, that is, that, that is what I'm worshiping, right? Because it's consuming my head or it's consuming my emotions or it's driving what I do. That's a definition of worship. And so here's what I want to do. We're going to pray here in a moment and I'm just going to pray one sentence and I want you to pray this sentence in your mind with me as I pray it out loud and it's this, Lord Show me today through your word that Jesus is better. One sentence. Let's go to God right now. Lord, we lay our lives open before your word. And we know that when your word is open, you speak. So Lord, would you show us today that you are better, that Jesus is better, and it's in the mighty name of Jesus that we pray, amen. So if Jesus is the source of our satisfaction, it's, if that's what this passage of scripture says, then here's the question that I want God's word to answer today and what we're about to read. How do you and I experience Jesus as our satisfaction? How do we do it? And remember what I just said, what I worship is what I'm looking to for satisfaction. So I think this passage of scripture is going to show us six ways that we worship Jesus in order to experience him as our satisfaction. Because we could read this passage of scripture, which is amazing. I can't wait to get into it. I've been looking forward to teaching this all week. We can read it and we could walk out of here, but I want us to apply it to where we live today because that's when God's word makes a difference. Paul says that we need to grow in all spiritual wisdom and understanding. Let's take who Jesus is and let's apply it to the way that we're living. And so I want to give you six ways that I believe this passage of Scripture reminds us of how we are to worship Jesus so we can experience him as our satisfaction. So let's start in verse 15. Look at what it says. He, can we just say the first word together? You're like, man, we're going to be here a long time if we do this. 
Just say the first word together. Ready? He. Say it again. He. Who is he? Jesus. He is the image of the invisible God. Now jump down to verse 19 because verse 19 has the same thought about who Jesus is at the beginning of verse 15. For in him, who do you think him is? Jesus, you're right, A plus. For in him all the fullness There's that word again that we talked about that was in verses 9 through 14 about full knowledge. Fullness literally means completely to the brim. Like you can't absolutely pour any more in it because it would overflow. Completely filled is the idea of fullness. What's the significance of that? Because it says he's the image of the invisible God, verse 19. For in Jesus all the fullness of God was pleased to dwell. That word dwell doesn't mean I'm going to visit somewhere. That word dwell literally means it's where you live. It's the idea of dwell. So in other words, what Paul is doing here is he's driving home the reality that Jesus is God. He's God. Image has the idea of an exact representation and revelation. It's where we get the word icon from. That Greek word for image. So, so in our, in, let's put it in our context. So if you didn't know who I was, if you're like, yeah, I hear this guy's Johnny Pereira is at Salem Chapel and you had no idea what I look like, you know what you do? You probably jump on Facebook, social media or something. You, you type in my name to see if you could see what I look like, right? Or, or you'd Google it. Don't, and don't, don't act like you'd have never stalked someone like that before. Like, like that's my life. Like, like constantly new people come into the church and I'm like, man, that name sounds familiar. So a lot of times, I'm being very transparent now. What I'll do, all right, let me type in their name in Facebook or something and see if I'm already friends or, or it, it, which is dangerous because it may not be you, right? But if you were to do that and you were to see my face, you'd be like, oh, that's what Johnny looks like. That's, that's partly the idea of image, But it's not all the way there of what that means. Because even though you may get the picture right of what I look like, that picture alone cannot describe my character, my integrity. So when it says that he, Jesus, is the image, he's the icon, in other words, Jesus lets us know what God looks like, because in John 1.18, Jesus says, no one has seen God. God does not have a form like Jesus But not only is Jesus the visible representation of who God is, but Jesus' character lets us know what God's character is like. See, in John 14, 9, it says, whoever has seen me, Jesus speaking, has seen the Father. Hebrews 1, 3 says, he, Jesus, is the radiance of the glory of God, the exact imprint of his nature or his character. So why is Paul doing that? Because there's a heresy that's existing with the Gnostics who are primarily the ones that were threatening what the church believed, that believed that Jesus could not be God. Because remember, they believed that matter was evil and spirit was good. And so Jesus with human flesh therefore could not be God. That's the heresy going on. And so Paul wants to address under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, no, 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 let me remind you church who Jesus is is he's God. He's not a God. He's not born of God. He is God. Which leads me to the first way that I need to worship Jesus in order to experience him as my satisfaction. Number one, I need to worship Jesus as God 
rather than myself. You need to worship Jesus as God rather than yourself. See, oftentimes people who don't believe Jesus is God can look at Jesus and say, well, Jesus was a good person. I mean, Jesus taught good things and Jesus taught good principles and, and he's definitely someone that we should look to like Gandhi or, or whoever else and, and he was a great philosopher of his time and he gave good truths. But let's, wait a minute, let's just back the train up a bit. Can we do that? So if I'm standing up here this morning and I say, I have a revelation I want to let everyone know. I'm God. You ought to say, I can't get up quick enough to run out the back, back doors, get my kids, and go home and never come again. Why? Because you would not say if I made that statement, man, you know what? Johnny had good intentions. You know, he's a good person. He says some good stuff every once in a while. What would you say? He's crazy. And the reality is, is we have two choices when we look at Jesus. Jesus is either God or he's a lunatic. He's either all hope or he's all hype. He's not in the middle. He's either God or he's a megalomaniac. And so often we can look at Jesus and even as followers of Jesus Christ, people have put our faith and trust in Jesus as our life, for, for, for our salvation. We can be Christian humanists. Because we can say to ourselves, you know what? I like Jesus when he agrees with my way, the way that I'm living, my opinions, when he lines up with what I believe is my rights. And in reality, what we are doing is we are viewing ourselves as God. I want to do it my way. This is my life. And we actually profess that we are followers of Jesus Christ. And someone who's living a life as though they are God will not experience the satisfaction that's found in Jesus Christ. And Paul starts off saying, wait a minute, church at Colossae, let me remind you on who your Jesus is. You need to worship him as God. And when you worship him as God, that causes you to not worship yourself is God. I can't do both. It's the first way that I see that we experience satisfaction that's found in Jesus Christ according to this text at the beginning of verse 15 and verse 19. Now look at the second thing. Paul continues at the second part of verse 15. He just doesn't say he, Jesus, is the image of the invisible God, but then he goes on. He says, the firstborn. So if you're reading this for the first time, you're like, uh-oh, we got a problem here because firstborn means that Jesus had a beginning, but what you need to understand is in the original language in the Greek, that word has the idea. It's used over and over and over again to refer to this idea of first importance, of first rank prior to something. What does Jesus say in John 1, 1? In the beginning was the word. If you know the rest of it, say it with me. The word was with God and the word was God. It doesn't say the word was a God. It says the word was God. Firstborn, before all creation. You're like, well, how can this be true? Well, verse 16 through 17 tells us why. Because that word for literally means because. For because by him all things were created in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities. I mean, I love 
how Paul is not leaving any wiggle room whatsoever. Don't you love that? Like what you're going to see in this passage of Scripture is there are a lot of 100% absolutes. No wiggle room. He's God or he's crazy. And so Paul's painting every corner, so to speak, and, and the reason why he's so descriptive in heaven on earth, visible and invisible, thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities, is because the Gnosticism was confused about creation. Because how could God, who is not of material form in their mind, create material which they believe to be evil. That was a contradiction in their mind. So Paul is so descriptive here because he's wanting to debunk the false teaching that the Gnostics were pressing in on the church at the time. And what does he say? All things were created through him and for him, and he is before all things. Revelation 22, 13 says what? Jesus says, I am the alpha, the omega, the beginning and the end. What's the point? The point is this. It's for us to be reminded that creation is for God's glory. He made it all. And here's the second way that we worship Jesus if we want to experience satisfaction that's found in him. Number two, we worship Jesus as creator rather than his creation. You're like, well, of course, Johnny, that's what I do. Like, that's no revelation. Like, let's move on to the next thing. And we could easily do that and be like, yep, check the box. That's who Jesus is. Wait a minute. How many of us right now are worshiping our talents? You take pride in the things that you're good at. I take pride in my mind you may, you may have, a, have a job with mathematics or engineering or you're a doctor and, and you take pride that, that the Lord has given you that mind for that. And if you're really honest, man, you, you, that's where you get your sense of significance and satisfaction from. And what are you doing? You're worshiping the creation rather than the creator. You know what I mean? sit here this morning and I'm like, man, at the end of the day, I really take pride in the platform that I have and the influence that I have over, you know, over the people that, that work for me or whatever it may be. And, and if we're really being honest and, and introspective in our lives this morning, maybe the Lord is trying to tell us, no, 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 I gave you that platform. I gave you that influence and you are actually worshiping the creation rather than the creator. Some of us may actually be worshiping our spouse in the sense that, what did we say worship was? Giving first place of our head, our heart, and our hands. And we may be looking to our spouse as our source of satisfaction. And we may be not experiencing satisfaction this morning because we have put them on a pedestal that they can never live up to. And I'm not excusing anyone's behavior this morning, so don't hear me on that either. But we are putting all of our security, all of our identity, all of our satisfaction in that person. And what the Lord maybe wants us to be reminded of when we look at this passage of scripture in the end of verse 15 through 17 when it says no no all things were created for him through him he is before all things lord maybe i am worshiping what you have given your creation rather than the one who has given it some of us are doing that with our kids now we get to real personal and our kids drive everything they drive 
how if I'm having a good day or a bad day. They, they drive my schedule. They, they drive how the household is run. They, they determine what's right or wrong. I mean, they determine everything. And kids are a blessing from the Lord, a precious thing from the Lord. But I wonder this morning, are worshiping the creation rather than the creator? We could go on and on and on. See, when you start to stop just looking at this as some heady thing that, okay, yeah, I've heard this before, and you'll actually think, wait a minute, how does this apply to my life right now? I wonder how many of us would say, Lord, I am guilty of worshiping your creation rather than your creator. Because at the end of the day, that's our nature. Romans 1.25 says, they exchanged the truth about God for a lie and worshiped and served the creature rather than the creator. And when I'm living like that, here's, here's what that is. Plain and simple, idolatry. Idolatry. So if the definition of worship is giving first place of my head, heart, and hands, idolatry is giving someone or something first place of my head, heart, and hands other than Jesus. And what we have to understand this morning is that I will never experience the fullness of Jesus Christ in my life in being satisfied in him. I will always be found wanting if I am not worshiping the creator as first place in my life. Misplaced worship always results in the dissatisfaction of my heart. Well, let's continue going in this text. Look at the end of verse 17. Paul continues to say this about Jesus. And if there's one phrase that's my favorite phrase, just in case you were wondering, and you may not have been, but just in case, just to let you know, this is my favorite phrase in this entire passage of Scripture, where it says, in him all things. Say that, say that phrase again. All things. Say it one more time. All things. Does it say some things? All things. In him all things hold together. The tense that this phrase is written in has this idea that he, Jesus, continues now in this very moment as I am talking and you are listening. In this very moment, he is holding everything together. Everything Absolutely everything in the sense which, which then lends me to make the conclusion that apart from his continuous activity, all things would disintegrate and spiral out of control. Like that's our Jesus. He holds everything together. Hebrews 1.3 says this, the sun, we read this before, but let me finish the verse. The sun is the radiance of God's glory and the exact representation of his being, sustaining all things by his powerful word. He's the creator and the sustainer of the entire universe. He is the power behind every consistency in the universe. Well, then how do I worship him? See, I worship Jesus as my sustainer, as your sustainer, rather than someone or something. I already said this before. Your best friend can't be your sustainer. Your child cannot be your, your sustainer. Your girlfriend, boyfriend, fiance cannot be your sustainer. Your spouse can't be your sustainer. Your pastor cannot be your sustainer. No, no, no. Jesus is the only one by which is described. He holds all things together. I mean, even the human body. 
as dissatisfied as you may be with yours. Your human body even illustrates that Jesus is the sustainer. You know, I remember probably over a decade ago, I was, I was listening to this pastor preach, and he was actually referring to this phrase, in him he holds all things together, and he gave this amazing illustration from the human body, and, I, and when I heard it, it like blew me away. I was like, man, that is so amazing. And so when I was studying this week for this passage of scripture, I'm like, man, I, I have to share this about the human body, but then I thought to myself, we got a lot of doctors in the room. So I'm like, I better source check because it's happened to me before. I've given this illustration that I heard from another pastor and you so lovingly pointed out that that's not true. So I'm like, I can't take that risk again. And so I like texted like some of you. I, I texted someone who was in med school. I texted a couple anesthesiologists. I texted a general practitioner. I was like trying to cover all my bases. And the general practitioner was like, man, you were asking me to go all the way back to med school. And then the, the person in med school was like, don't you have more people qualified to answer this question than me? <laughs> but nevertheless, I was like, I am not getting in front of this church and give this amazing illustration of how the human body even illustrates that Jesus holds all things together without checking my sources. So I checked my sources. And it's about this protein molecule called laminin. Now, before I ever heard this message that this pastor preached, I had no idea what it was. I couldn't even spell it. And so for those of you who are like, I have no idea what you're talking about right now, here's what laminin is. I'm going to read this to make sure that I got it right. Laminin is a cell adhesion molecule. So cell adhesion molecules are what hold one cell of our bodies to the next cell. So laminins really are the rebar or the glue to holding our human bodies together. Like if we didn't have that, we're mush. Laminin. And so some of you are like still like, well, thank you for the info. Here's what you don't understand. When I was listening to this pastor give this illustration, I was probably the same as you if you've never heard this before. And I was like, okay, how does this world, does this illustrate the, the, the significance that Jesus holds all things together and how that's even evidence, there's evidence even in the human body and how the human body works? Well, here's what you need to understand because when you see what this uh, cell adhesion molecule looks like, it will make much more sense. And until I saw it, I didn't realize the sense that it made either. I mean, Jesus could have designed this cell adhesion molecule to look all different ways. It could have been a circle. It could have been a triangle. It could have been a square. It could have been a rectangle. It could have been any number of different things. But it's so interesting that Jesus designed this cell adhesion molecule that holds one cell to another, that literally is the rebarb to our human bodies, that he designed it to look this way. And some of you are like, would you just show it already? So here's the diagram. Here's a picture of what this laminin molecule looks like. He could have chosen everything, but what does he choose? I want it to be shaped like a what? A cross. Here is a microscopic actual picture of what laminin looks like. And some of you know this, but others of you may not. Just think of the human body, your human body, and how the Lord allowed his fingerprints to be placed that Jesus in your human body holds you together. Which ought to remind ourselves of this 
truth that we have that, man, I worship Jesus as my sustainer, not someone, not something, as great as those may be, but no, 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 he deserves first place in my head, in my heart, in my hands, so that I can experience him as my satisfaction. Listen to me, if you're here today, and you're struggling with something in your life, whatever that may be. Maybe it's something that is broken. And you're like, I don't believe that, that it can be put back together. Or you're sitting here and you're like, man, I, I, have, this, I have this need and, and I don't know how this need's gonna be met. And, and I wanna remind you that you have a G Jesus, a savior, who has promised that he holds all things. That's why I had to repeat. That phrase, all things, that he is the provider of what you need. Some of you are feeling so vulnerable right now, and what I want you to understand is, no, 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 Jesus holds all things together. He will make, he will provide, he will sustain you so that you don't have to live in that vulnerability. He will protect what is vulnerable. Listen to me, we worship Jesus as the sustainer, not someone, not something. Here's the fourth thing, look at verse 18. It says, and he is the head of the body, the church. We worship Jesus. Fourth thing here, we worship Jesus as the senior leader of this church rather than a person. Jesus controls every part of his church. Every part. He's the head. He gives it life. He gives it meaning. He gives it direction. He provides its provision. He provides his presence, his power, his people, his peace. He's the senior leader of the church. Capital C. Every place meeting today that is declaring the gospel of Jesus Christ in this country, in this globe, whether it's in a building, whether it's in a school, whether it's in a home, whether it's in a village, wherever it is, Jesus is a senior leader of his church. And if he's a senior leader of his church, capital C, then what we need to remind ourselves of today is that Jesus is the senior leader of this church, Salem Chapel. Listen to me, my title here is lead pastor, but make no mistake about it, Jesus is the senior pastor of this church. And what we need to be reminded of as a church is so often churches encounter struggles and they're split and they divide and there's, and there's hate that's directed towards one another. Why? Because I believe it boils down to we forget that Jesus is the senior leader of this church. It's not a person who stands on the stage. It's not people in the church that we are friends with. It's not a particular ministry. It's definitely not a building. Jesus is the senior leader of this church. And when we continue to remind ourselves of that reality, we will live in the power that Jesus Christ has given us. We will see a difference. We will make movement for the kingdom of God. But we need to bring ourselves back to the reality that, man, maybe I'm looking for my satisfaction in a person, in a person on staff, a person that we need on staff, a, a ministry, a ministry we don't have, whatever it may be. And I just want us to be reminded according to what God says, no, 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 Jesus is the head of the body, the church. Ephesians 5.23 says, Christ is the head of the church, his body, and is himself its savior. Here's the fifth thing. Some of you are like dead tired evidently because I can't believe you're just like keeping quiet. But nevertheless, end of verse 18. He is the beginning, the firstborn. 
There's that word, same word is found in verse 15. It literally means first place. He is the beginning. In other words, he doesn't have a beginning. He is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead. That in everything, say everything with me. Everything, say it again. Everything. You see the 100% statements? There's more 100% statements here than anywhere else in the book of Colossians. Because that means I can't say some things. Can't say, Lord, well, I want you to be first place in this, but not this. No, no, no. In everything. He might be preeminent, first place. Everything means literally his firstness. There's no room in my life for Jesus plus something for significance. Here's a fifth way that we worship Jesus. We worship Jesus as superior rather than inferior to other things. I'm not reading it wrong here. That in everything, he might be preeminent. He's first place in our families. He's first place in our marriages. He's first place in your profession. He's first place in our mission and ministry. He's first place in your time. First place in your love. First place in your conversation. First place in your pleasures. First place in your eating. First place in your play. First place in your athletics. First place in what we watch. First place in art. First place in music. First place in worship. And when we worship Jesus as superior rather than inferior to other things, the result is we experience the satisfaction and fullness of Jesus Christ in our lives. We don't leave wanting. Here's the last thing. Look at verse 20. And through him, to reconcile to himself all things, whether on earth or in heaven, making peace by the blood of his cross. That word reconcile in verse 20 is one of the most significant descriptive terms in reference to the salvation that you have or can have in Jesus Christ. Because the way that Paul uses that word reconcile. It literally means this. Thoroughly, completely, totally changed. In other words, me before Christ and the way that I lived my life, the way that you lived your life before Christ, if you are not a follower of Jesus Christ, Romans 6.23 says the wages of our sin is death. That's what I deserve because of my sin before a holy God that is without sin. And so in my nature, what I, what I live my life before Christ, I lived a sinful life that deserved eternal punishment separated from God's presence for all of eternity. That's my fate in life. But God, because of his love through Jesus Christ, what did he do? He sent Jesus, put on human flesh, lived a perfect life that could be a substitute for my sinful life. He died on the cross for my sin, paying the penalty for what my sin deserved. And he rose again three days later, securing and making that payment. Yes, it was enough. 
He had victory over death in my place so that when I take my sinful life and I come to Jesus and realize what Jesus has done for for me, there's an exchange that takes place. Jesus takes his perfect life, death, and resurrection and he takes it and he replaces my sinful life with his perfection so that when God sees me now, he doesn't see me as sinful, as worthy of his wrath, but rather this word reconcile, he sees me thoroughly, completely, and totally change because a spiritual exchange took place between God and myself. That's the word reconcile. And so Paul closes out this passage and he says, let me remind you of something again. Through him, who's him? Jesus. Through Jesus, he reconciled to himself all things, not just my salvation, not just your salvation, Not just you sitting here who's never done that, who he's offering that to you today through what we're declaring, but all things, including creation, will be made right, totally changed, because it says in Romans 8 that even creation suffers from sin being in this world. That's why there's disease. That's why there's decay. That's why there's erosion in our world. It's because we live in an imperfect, sinful world. And so when I look at this passage of Scripture and I think about, Lord, I need to worship you for who you are. Here's the sixth way that I worship Jesus. I worship Jesus as the peacemaker rather than my problems. Because Paul starts off by saying, he reconciled to himself all things, speaking of my salvation, speaking of what Jesus will do one day. But then he says, whether on heaven whether on earth or in heaven, he makes, he's making peace by the blood of his cross. In other words, listen to me today. Some of you are worshiping your problems. Your problems are keeping you up at night. Your problems are giving you anxiety. Your problems are causing you to even affect your relationships with other people, with those that love you. And it's also affecting how you view God. And what you need to do this morning is understand that the greatest evidence that I serve a savior who is my peacemaker is the cross of Jesus Christ. Because if he was able to make peace for my life eternally, then he for sure is able to totally change whatever I am experiencing in my life right now for for my good and his glory. He's making all things new. Revelation 21, three through five says this, just listen. This is talking about when God, when Jesus will come back one day and he says, I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, behold, the dwelling place of God is with man and he will dwell with them and they will be his people and God himself will be with them as their God and he will wipe away every tear from their eyes and death shall be no more. Neither shall there be mourning nor crying nor pain anymore for the former things have passed away. And he who is seated on the throne, Jesus, says this, Behold, I am making all things new. John Piper, who is a theologian that lives today, and many of you have probably read some of his stuff, his most famous quote is this, that God is most satisfied with us when we are most satisfied, or God is most glorified in us when we are most satisfied in him. Jesus is better. Jesus is better. What have you been giving first place? 
with your head, what's consuming your thoughts. First place with your heart, what's consuming your emotions. First place with what you're doing that's consuming your actions. And if it's anyone other than Jesus Christ, there will result in a dissatisfaction of my heart. Jesus is a source of my satisfaction. He is the one that is deserving of my worship. I want you to stand with me this morning because I, pray, I had us pray this morning before we ever started in this text that God would show you that Jesus is better. And what I want you to walk away with is I now have the passage of Scripture that whatever my heart is struggling in allegiance to pursue other than Jesus, I have a passage of Scripture that I can go to now and say, let me see if this thing or this person measures up to Jesus. And the answer will always be no. But I want us to read this passage of Scripture, and I want us to read it as a declaration to our head, heart, and hands. And secondly, I want us to read it as though we're reading it to the one whom is described here. Let's read it to Jesus. Let's read it to our heart. Let's read this together, understanding that Jesus is better. Would you read this with me this morning? He is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation. For by him all things were created in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities. All things were created through him and for him. And he is before all things. And in him all things hold together. And he is the head of the body, the church. He is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, that in everything he might be preeminent. For in him all the fullness of God was pleased to dwell. And through him to reconcile to himself all things, whether on earth or in heaven, making peace by the blood of his cross. Let's give him the worship that he deserves this morning. Oh,